Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles, the international show. I am Ron Kolick, your host, and with me all the way across the Atlantic Ocean in the land of the lockdown is the gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Steve Parson. Good evening. And uh, just an amendment to that, in the land that's starting to come out of lockdown. Really? Yeah, really. Some of some of our supermarkets opened today. Ah. Uh-huh. Why, your supermarkets weren't even open? Um, only to sell food and essential goods. Oh, that's open. <laughs> yeah, so, whatever. So um, we can buy anything now in a supermarket as of today. And uh, garden centers open today. Excellent. And from uh, Saturday... We can travel anywhere we want inside Wales. Awesome. Whereas previously we've been told not to trip. We're not allowed to move, move more than five miles from the house. Excellent. There should be a lot of ghost hunts going on now. Uh, well, the English aren't allowed. We're not allowed out of Wales and the English aren't allowed into Wales. So Fair enough. Unless you live here, of course. That's why mm. I'm here. But there we are. So, And, and I've been vaccinated. Excellent. Which one? A, uh, AstraZeneca, of course. Oh, AstraZeneca. Um, the one that uh, Europe are trying to ban the exports of because, yep. Uh, yep. And um, yeah, it actually happened, ironically enough, uh, a year to the very day that this whole damn mess started. Hmm. It's actually pretty good for science, isn't it? I mean, you know, they created yeah, it's, a it's vaccine. It's fantastic, actually. Of course, we in don't fact, know not the, just one the long vaccine. effects of anything, any vaccine, to be honest. No, but with I mean, so. let's let's be honest. I mean, we've not just got one vaccine. We've got is it like three, 20. four. Well, there's four now being regular. I mean, you've got Moderna, uh, Moderna. Pfizer, Moderna and AstraZeneca. And Johnson Johnson. Oh, we haven't got that one here, but we've got three. Johnson um, Johnson's the one shot. Well, we've got AstraZeneca, Pfizer, and Moderna. Yep. All right, but we do have a guest. Speaking of yeah, vaccines, <clears throat> yep. No, that's fine. That's fine. People like to know what's going on in other parts of the world. So, I'm glad you gave us an update on that. So, joining us now is uh, one of my, inter- well, I guess, one of my most interesting people that I've ever met. Uh, primarily because he gave me a haunted iguana. But anyways, yeah. he was... Oh, a how demon... I remember the iguana. Yes, yes. <laughs> he's a demonologist. When demonologist was not cool, but he was when back then. And he's joining us now, Mr. Keith Johnson. Good evening. <laughs> hey, a little hey, delay. <laughs> how are you, gentlemen? <laughs> We're all fine. fine. How are you? Nice to catch up with you again. Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing fine, thank you. And it's good to talk to both of you. Uh, wonderful, wonderful gentlemen. Um, two men that I do very, very highly esteem. And I like the little uh, blurb about the 
iguana there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> our beautiful what iguana. My, yeah. my favorite possessions, yes. My my haunted iguana. Keith gave it to me at Spirit Quest. Uh, Angels and Demons, in fact, it was the name of the thing. He gave a presentation on demonology, I believe it was. He did? And he did. And uh, yes, he gave me, and I, I put it right to you. And so you I, made big puppy eyes at him to get the iguana for the whole weekend. No, he brought it to me right off the bat. So I, I Or rather, a bit like, a bit I, like I did the following year with Paranormal Kitty. That's different. You you just about big. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what do we like? <laughs> yes. So, anyways, Keith, you are here, and yeah. uh, yes, uh, the uh, the iguana is well. People want you know. I brought it up, so you got you got to give us a little bit of uh, a story about the iguana, anyway. So, so at least we can uh, uh, get that out of the way as far as that goes. Well, that was bit. from an actual, yeah, that, that iguana was from an actual case I was on, and uh, a woman was having a spiritual disturbance in her home, and that seemed to make it worse for some reason. I, I think it was the eyes. The eyes just, uh, for some, <laughs> it was a gift to her, but then the eyes just spooked her really bad. So she put it out in the garage, and once she put it out in the garage, things lessened a bit. But we did, a, Sandra and I did a blessing through the whole household, and uh, she wanted me to take it with us, so I, I did. And it was a fine collection. The only thing is that uh, I added it to my haunted museum, but uh, every time I get something from my haunted museum, I seem to wind up giving it away. <laughs> so so uh, yeah, so I don't I don't really have a haunted museum. So um, maybe maybe one or two artifacts, but uh, I, I know friends that do, and of course. Uh, very, very good friend, Ron Kolick. Um, I think he deserved it because I know he'll keep it safe and he'll keep himself safe. Thank you. The, you know, it's, <laughs> oh, the, it's amazing. I mean, uh, you, you actually called me a friend and everything. I mean, when we were back in the beginning days when the Ghost Hunters, and you were a member of the original Ghost Hunter team, we, we were in separate little camps at that time, I guess. Uh, you know, we not not that we were in competition, but we were each doing our own thing. And it's funny how we, we've we gone from that to, you know, being actually calling each other friends and so forth. But, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Keith has Keith is, uh, had an interesting life. Uh, I had him on the uh, the show before. And, you know, and this is the intriguing thing. If you've seen A Haunting, which is a, a TV show that uh, pretty much deals with demons and everywhere, especially nowadays, uh, Keith and his uh, brother and his sister, who I never knew he had a sister until that show came out, uh, was on that show. And Keith was the reasonable one of the group, which I found uh, really <laughs> amusing. <laughs> So you want to give us a little bit into the story behind that? Yes, that uh, that goes back to our adolescence, our early adolescence, when we had some, you know, I, I don't know if I'd call it a disturbance in our house, the house that I grew up in. It was a new house at the time, so it didn't have a real history, but probably the property did. My grandfather lived uh, next to us, and that was a very, very old house, and um, my mother was a teenager, of course, you know, once a few times she played with a Ouija board. Then we did the uh, board in our house as, a, as teenagers, but I kind of 
wanted to stay away from it. I I thought it's probably not a good thing to be inviting things in since we already had some activity in our house. And that seemed to turn it a lot more uh, negative, I guess you could say. It uh, communicated. There was a lot more spirit communication. But my brother and my sister were the ones who were mostly um, my brother's idea, but my brother and my sister did the communication. And they did get a couple of friends. And one friend in particular, uh, Sylvia, you know, that was a friend that came across on the board, uh, spelled out we're her name. We're talking about spirit friends, right? Yes, spirit friends. Yes, that was actually a, not, not a corporate friend. That was a spirit yeah. friend. And filled out Sylvia on the board. Where and my brother asked, "Where are you, Sylvia?" Cellar, uh, C E L L A R, was spelled out. So my brother and sister went to the cellar stairs, waited for a while. Said, "Sylvia, if you're here, please give us a sign." They waited five minutes or so, several minutes, and then they were about to go upstairs when they heard three bangs, resounding bangs on the walls. Oh, I guess that is Sylvia. Yeah. But uh, they kept up their regular communication with Sylvia. Until things became, you know, somewhat more negative. Uh, my sister was shoved. She was pushed. Uh, the planchette with either, sometimes it wouldn't work at all. They, it was like a piece of iron they were trying to push. And, I mean, my brother and my sister, their strength combined wouldn't rivet it to the uh, board like that. But sometimes wow. it just would not move. Um, you know, you wonder how much is psychological and, and how much is actually spiritual. And I'm, I'm sure a great deal of it was psychological, but there were also uh, phenomena. There was phenomena happening in our house, uh, such as uh, the planchette not moving, my sister being pushed, uh, things being banged, uh, noises and laughter and voices outside my bedroom window. Uh, finally, my brother saw Sylvia. Sylvia started appearing in shadow form in the cellar. Uh, my brother was had had put his bed down there and. Sure enough, Sylvia would walk by, he'd see this woman in shadow form, no noise at all. And then one one morning, uh, early one morning, Sylvia appeared as a full-bodied apparition, just uh, just appeared to him, a, a woman probably from the turn of the century, her hair done up in a bun, wearing a Victorian dress, a gray dress, and just a cold stare. Not an unattractive woman, but just a, a very, very cold stare, say a woman in probably her early 40s, late 30s, and and then she vanished, and uh, so we finally had enough of it. So we we did ask for intervention. Um, mm-hmm. Eventually, we had a uh, member of the clergy, an Episcopal priest, came in and blessed the house. And of course, uh, we consulted with our friends Ed and Lorraine Warren about this too, and they became involved. And of course, it's through uh, Ed and Lorraine that we met our good friend, fellow demonologist John Zaffis, and uh, mm-hmm. Johnny Z there, and. So we became lifelong friends. So the blessing did seem to work the, that the priest did. Now, of course, in the Episcopal faith, they don't have the ritual romanum. They don't have the, uh, you know, the actual ritual of uh, an right. exorcism. So right. what he did was the uh, priest used a baptism, which is a form of exorcism in the liturgy. He used uh, an Episcopal baptism and uh, worded it that way. And that seemed to have a positive effect. Uh, not that it didn't come back, and uh, some things did seem to happen, but not as intense as it was. It even followed my brother. It followed him in knocking on the wall again to another apartment he lived in. So, But that's the story of basically what happened. Uh, interesting childhood, and of course, 
you know, during our adolescence that we may, met Ed and Lorraine Warren and became friends with them, too. And Johnny's assets. So um, that's right. in a nutshell. That's what happened. Okay. Hey, Go ahead. So, sorry. <clears throat> I was just going to because the story is fascinating and it, it highlights some interesting cultural differences um, between, well, not just both sides of the Atlantic, but also across the Americas. Um, but particularly, I've noticed um, down the years, and it might be a Hollywood portrayal, but it's also what you, you know, the accounts that you see in books and you see some historical accounts also. American hauntings have a tendency to be more malevolent than the British haunting. You know, we still have predominantly apparitions just drifting aimlessly, wandering, you know, up and down corridors and through walls. Whereas the American apparitions seem to be much more focused on um, following people, being harmful, um, worrying people and, and requiring uh, intervention you know, by form of blessing or exorcism. I mean, is that your, am I getting that uh, accurate? Uh, I think, Steve, that is very, very accurate. I'm glad you, I'm very glad you mentioned that, actually, because, yes, that's true. Uh, I know um, your countryman, Steve, uh, Richard Felix there, he has uh, written oh, yeah. about that and spoken about that. that time. In um, in the UK, and especially in, in your country, they, the, of course, you have a vast amount of haunting phenomena there. You know, look at the vast history you have there. That's but, true. Uh, We're not sure. It's been more like residual, or um, or if it's somebody giving a message, it's it's really not that that in, anyway, frightening, but not that personally intimidating. Whereas here, the spirits seem to uh, make it a personal deal. <laughs> they they mm -hmm. like to get really uh, close and personal to people and attach themselves, and kind of more of the violent, uh, extreme haunting phenomena. I mean, exceptions, mm -hmm. of course, but uh, I think in. Am I, am I right saying that in, in England, that it's more like a historical residual thing, like you have your family ghost or your castle ghost? And yeah, um, absolutely. We, we, I mean, we do. We are, uh, we are seeing now an increase in the number of reported malevolent hauntings. But I think that's, that's more to do with the, the media um, and the way that it's had an impact. You know, we've got ghost adventures now who weekly have to do battle. And right. that is having an effect. But no, yeah. I mean, our traditional British haunting is benign, um, more like the Canterville ghost than anything else. Um, yeah. they, they they come and they go and we tend to live with them. I'm just wondering whether perhaps America being a younger nation, um, you know, they just haven't aged yet and um, grown <laughs> mellow. Yes, <laughs> aged like a, like yeah. a fine wine, I, I think. Yeah, and, I mean, um, it might just be that, yeah. you know, uh, the phantoms require a few more hundred years to mellow. Yeah, I don't, oh. I don't think about people in the UK having to vacate their premises because of the phenomenon. No, I think that that's, that's incredibly rare. That is incredibly rare. I yes, can only think of... Mine, right, Steve? Sorry? They're a gold mine if they're haunted. Uh, well, there's that, but uh, as Keith, Keith Keith rightly says, people vacating their homes. I mean, in in all of my years investigating, I've only ever known that to be um, true on one occasion, and that was actually caused by the, what the ghost hunters themselves were saying 
to the to the homeowners uh not not the homeowners it it didn't come from the homeowners um they called in some amateur weekenders and these people told them that there was blood running down the walls and that there was fetuses <laughs> unburied beneath the floorboards and oh, that the God. that the the um the daughter in particular now the daughter was in her 30s at the time but the daughter in, in particular was the, the the target of the haunting and that she was in extreme danger and that did lead to uh the the two people it was a mother and daughter who shared the house um, actively seeking to leave the property but that's the only occasion in all these years most most um, hauntings here in the uk tend to be um, they might be a little disturbing and a little bit um, distressing at the start but then people tend to just live with it and get on with it and then it be then they kind of adopt it and they become quite sort of maternal or paternal toward the spook and you know when calls for exorcism are are still incredibly rare i have actually a question on that is it is it possible that uh and and this goes to you uh keith uh, you know, one of the raps on the Ouija board, of course, is that you don't know who you're uh, you're going to get when it, when you if you make contact with a spirit. This is all believing that the spirit world does exist, and you know, on that premise. And there, are, but because they can be who they want to be, maybe because of what this country has become and being so want to be scared and that there's so many shows now on TV dealing with demons and, and everything's a demon that the spirits, although they may not be demons are actually pretended to be just for the attention or, or just being, because that's what people want them to be. Oh, oh yes. There is a lot of, um, in, in some ways it's very childish behavior because it is a lot of attention getting it's pranks and doing this and that. Um, and the more attention it gets, especially negative attention, like some unruly children, uh, try to get it's, uh, mm-hmm. the more empowered it seems to be, the more it's uh, willing to communicate. If, if, if you give it negative attention, it'll react with, uh, in turn with negative attention. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely true. I think I think you've maybe hit it on the head there, Keith. Because in a lot of ways, there are there are differences between the the British and the, I suppose, the rest of the world. We 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 mm-hmm. are tend we we don't tend to get our, our our as Ron says our panties in the bunch about very much. You know, we 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 don't protest very. You know, we don't take to the streets very often, and when we do, it tends to be short lived. We take to Facebook and we tut a lot. Um, and yeah. that's usually the limit of our, um, and so when we have a haunting, it, we, we tend to, um, uh, sort of keep it in perspective. And then we become, as I said before, uh, we kind of adopt it and, um, you know, it becomes part of, we sort of incorporate it into the family as a kind of naughty pet. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, you made. How did you meet uh, Lorraine and? Um... Oh God, I just can't think of his... Ed. Yeah. Thank you, dear. <laughs> yeah, coming up on the anniversary of that, actually, it was uh, in April, April in the early 1970s, and it was actually April in uh, 1972. Uh, my brother Carl and I, and uh, our friend Jay, and um, young lady I was with. 
we attended a lecture at uh, Rhode Island College, Seekers of the Search for Supernatural, and we had never heard of Ed and Lorraine Warren, but the title, Seekers of the Supernatural, well, we had to attend that, and uh, mm-hmm. we were very glad we did. It was quite thrilling. We'd never see, you know, lectures like that were not common at all back then. And these people who had traveled around the world and yet were kind of from our neighborhood. They were from Monroe, Connecticut, you know, one state over. And they they lectured and talked about their life hunting spirits and doing intervention for families that were troubled and also demonology. We didn't even know they were going to get into demonology. And uh, so, they, wow, they, we were thrilled to that. Carl and I were only uh, 17 years old and we we found uh, Ed to be a very 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 charismatic speaker, very charismatic, and uh, it's funny because my brother was doing a lot. I mean, we we're both doing heavy heavy research uh, into the paranormal things. I would not do now, of course, but my brother was into it a lot heavier than I was, and he was um, doing more of the uh, conjuring experiments and and so forth. So. Ed Warren asked, does anybody have any experience at the beginning of his lectures? Anybody have any experience with the occult? My brother raised his hand. Young man, would you come down here? And oh, he comes down on the stage and, uh, and he's, he's saying what he's into and everything. And the uh, young lady I happened to be with that night uh, for the evening, she was into white witchcraft, what she called white witchcraft. And of course, his kind of... Um, exploration different from hers and so she's she's next to me she's huffing and puffing very attractive woman with long blonde hair very english looking she uh, finally she can't take it anymore and and ed says this uh, young man i want you to stay here but is there any other anybody else in the audience who uh, is uh, has experience with dealing with the occult and she raises her hands young woman would you come down here and uh <laughs> she, and, oh no here we go you know and she <laughs> she goes down there and um you know what you're doing is very hypocritical. Oh, yeah, well, you're, you're, you know, and they start this debate right there, and Ed's holding the microphone back and forth. And Meanwhile, because Carl and I are twins, people start looking around and pointing me out, and I'm, you know, kind of sinking down in my seat there, you know. <laughs> I've got nothing to say, but, um, yeah, it was kind of very, very fun in retrospect and looking back on that. And uh, that night, of course, uh, it was a group at Rhode Island College called Pyro, Parapsychological Investigation and Research Organization, PIRO, uh, mm-hmm. at Rhode Island College, headed by Donna Eisenstadt on campus. And that is the group that had called in the Warrens, had hired them to speak there. And mm-hmm. they were fascinated, of course, with Carl, and they met me and, uh, and our friend Jay, and they asked, could you, could you please come to um, one of our meetings and lecture for us? And we said, well, we would be glad to, you know. We, we were just... 17 years old, but uh, we, we certainly agreed to. And very soon afterwards, we were invited to become members of Pyro, even though it, we were not students there at the time. But uh, that's how we entered our first paranormal investigation group officially. We were invited wow. by Don and her group, and uh, we became members of Pyro. And that's how we Kids. met Ed and Lorraine. <clears throat> with, with such a, an, you know, a long um, past and a to, decades in in this field how do you feel about you know the, these modern sort of media upstarts zach and the others who pop up and they become you know incredibly influential incredibly quickly they're like you know kind of like the rock stars of of um oh, yes. the paranormal how do you feel because you know like like me and ron and others 
you know, we've been we, we've been around you know, forever and you know how does it make you feel it's uh kind of got mixed feelings mixed feelings about that and of course we always you know wanted to be well maybe we could share our knowledge hopefully we'll become mm-hmm. well known right. um in this field and everything but the um the tv shows have really you know it, it's i mean it is entertainment it is entertainment but oh, absolutely, but a lot of people tell us, like soap operas, a lot of people take them seriously. What's that? Take who seriously? Soap operas. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. The people do take uh, uh, soap operas very seriously. That's that's like they're inviting the family into their home, and they, that's real to them. A lot of people, they, they lose that um, that third wall. You know, they, they lose that, and it becomes reality. It's like a suspension of disbelief and it's real to them mm-hmm. the same thing with the paranormal sh- shows in fact i'm glad steve that you um brought that up that's a very very good analogy because people watch these shows and you know, they watch and learn from them and learn how to use equipment and so but uh then they, they take things too far and of course my brother for years and uh, my brother and i for many years had uh, worked at slater mill doing uh paranormal tours there uh at nighttime and Sometimes, most of the time, people had just there had fun and everything. But then you get the uh, people that are going to call the spirits out, and they start using this insulting language, and uh, they're going to threaten the spirits and use provocation. You know, and it's like whoa, 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 whoa. This is this is not what this is supposed to be about. But that's they've their whole upbringing has been watching these things on TV. That's that's mm-hmm. their training, and they assume mm-hmm. it's gospel truth. Everything they see on TV and yeah, and they take it to heart, and yeah, I think it's um, in that way it has done a lot of harm because so many people are impressionable. I mean, we're all impressionable, I think, to a certain extent. But uh, I mean, there's some people who really they've been brought up on this, and they think it's all real. Everything they see is real. Mm-hmm. Every noise, every footstep is real, and they start doing this provocation like they've seen on TV. And of course, that that is very, very, very disrespectful. You know. It's, it's disrespectful to the the locations, the buildings themselves. It's disrespectful to whatever spirit form might be there. And I always like to tell people, you know, if you could see, if you could just see physically what you're cussing out, I don't think you'd do it again. You know? no, no. I think it's also very, it's also, I'd just like to, I personally, I think it's disrespectful to the, um, to the research. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To our understanding of the phenomena itself. Yeah. You know, we treat it. We yeah, treat yeah. it. In, you know, we we go into these these shows are very adversarial. They, um, you know, they 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 put on the the sort of the combat fatigues and they they go in there the yeah. butt heads with the with the spirits and nobody comes out as a winner. Um, you know, it, it's it's a conflict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking about conflict, we have to take a break right now. So uh, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve and Ron right here on Tuesday <laughs> Radio. Our special guest is Keith Johnson from Ghosts and Here, and we'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event? 
book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk gobbledygooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Part two of Ghost Chronicles, the International Edition, with your host, New England's own Van Helsing, me, the gold standard, and our special guest this week. Uh, <clears throat> well, I was doing some ma- mental uh, arithmetic during the um, during the break there, and realised that Keith and um, his brother, I I I came to the you know the realization a few weeks ago as i as i hit the magic 60 that i've been looking at ghosts looking for ghosts for 50 years and then during the ad break i realized that actually i think keith and your twin brother can give me a run for my money that is you know we've when i said we've been around keith we've been around a long yeah, time a couple of bad pennies <clears throat> Anyway, uh, we've been around a long time. I mean, it's yeah. the um, age group. Um, you know, uh, you two esteemed gentlemen, uh, Carl and myself, uh, John Zappis. We've um, we've been around yeah. for a while. And Jeff Belanger, you know, don't forget Jeff. We're after age sixty-six now, and we're um, still the same age, though, because we're still twins. So we're still the exact same age, and uh, we've been doing this for a while. I mean. Been doing it I thought Belanger like, was uh, about 25. No, it's oh, just baby thank face. You. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate Keith. that. <laughs> That's right. The, uh, uh, what the hell is it going to say now? Oh, we have John. John says he'd love to see us and you go do an investigation and wonder how it would work out. So uh, mm-hmm. maybe next time Steve's over, we can plan something. I thought we did it. Spirit yeah. question, didn't we? Did we? That would be cool. Yeah, that would be interesting. Because uh, you have your own team, which is uh, Ghost from Near, and uh, uh, a, a member of our video production of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, of course, is Nathan Mayer, who is also a yep. member of your team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, he was a member of your team before he joined us. So. Mm-hmm. Nathan is our parasun. It's, it's funny parasun. how Nathan became our parasun because... Um, you know, Sandra and I do have a son, Keith Jr., but... Uh, I was not aware of that. Oh, yes, yeah. We we have oh, a son. Little Keith. Keith I love it. Yeah, and um, 
Yeah, he's he's our only son, and because he's special needs, um, we had to really devote uh, most of our time to him. So we that's why we only have the one son. But uh, you know, he he lives with us now, and uh, it's funny that um, when we were at uh, we're at a convention at one time, we're at Unicon actually, uh, run by Ryan Buell years ago, was it in two thousand three, and uh, Nathan was there with us and. Lorraine and and her son-in-law Tony Sparrow were just leaving, and we were seeing them out. And it's so nice to see you, dear. Lorraine said, "Oh, honey, it's so nice to see you again." Oh, is this your son? This is your son. And then we introduced Nathan. <laughs> oh, it's so nice to see your son. So that that's how he became our parasan. We refer to Nathan as our parasan. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. No, go ahead, Keith. I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying. So in that way, we have two sons. So how did you end up with the Ghost Hunters? Because you were on the first couple seasons of the Ghost Hunter TV show and it was brand spanking new on the yeah. sci-fi. Yes, yes. Because um, uh, being living in Warwick, Rhode Island, my wife Sandra and I live in Warwick, Rhode Island, uh, I had been, there was a time in the 1990s, I was searching for any, any groups and there was, Close one in Connecticut here and there is looking for different uh, paranormal groups that maybe I could team up with. And my brother and I were toying with the idea of starting another one ourselves. And all of a sudden I came across um, TAPS, uh, the Atlantic Paranormal Society, uh, based in Warwick, Rhode Island. I said, oh, my goodness, they're right. They're right. And it turns out we're practically neighbors. And mm-hmm. so we met Jason Hawes and became, uh, became good friends with him and we were invited to join, Carl and I joined the Atlantic Paranormal Society. And of course, then in 2004, the TV show came about, uh, Ghost Hunters. And of course, being members, Carl and I specialized in demonology. So we became the two demonologists. We became the two demonologists in the show. And um, we weren't on every episode in the first and second season, simply because not every you know, case took on that intensity However, if you won this year, you'd be on in every case because they're all demons, I'm sure. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Probably so, yeah. Yeah, every case seems to uh, seems to go that way now, yeah. And same with Zach. Same, same with Zach, Zach Baggins. Yeah. You, know, it's, um, you know, every case is uh, really, really intense. There's not a case that's, that's not intense. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny because people who watch these shows, um, they, should, they should come on some of ours too and uh you know just play the waiting game which i mean you guys of course you know that that uh, oh, God, most of yes. it is just waiting for something to happen doing the research and and this and mm-hmm. that and uh most of the time nothing violent happens it's, it's those very rare exceptional cases where something violent breaks out but most of the time it's doing research and reassuring the family and um just uh yeah. waiting for things to happen and uh, things like that <laughs> And in the beginning, too, like even on the ghost hunters, they, they were out and they basically would declare a place whether it was haunted or not. And not every place was haunted. Uh, and, and that changed from the show. You could see how they had that place where there was they were more investigating whether it was haunted or not. Then eventually everything was haunted and then it kept going and going. But, uh, oh, yeah. you know, we've become that way in society now. If you get called in for a case, 
uh, it's automatically haunted. Uh, every group that's out there, oh, I got called in a poltergeist case, and and uh, yeah, it's it's going to be thing, and this is happening. And they go in, and and all they do is is uh, feed the uh, the people involved in it what they want to hear. They don't really do true investigating. Right. <clears throat> can right. I can I jump can I jump in because please do. Um, yeah. Only because it's it's just a little tiny short um, quick story, because uh, as you know I'm the investigations officer for the Society for Psychical Research here in the UK, and uh, we had a case two weeks ago came in, um, it was emailed into us, uh, some stuff had happened in the house, uh, predominantly in and around the bathroom, uh, soap had been mis had been displaced and had in fact disappeared. And um, the the father um, got himself one of these um, IP cameras, one of these remote video cameras, and set it up. And he caught some some um, lights and and other things. And he got in touch with us a, a, about what was happening. Anyway, um, we managed to talk to him about the lights, and he he kept videoing, and he 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 became more uh, accepting that these orbs weren't paranormal. And then uh, just at the start of this week. He sent us an email um, with some video footage attached to it saying that uh, they've fa they found the culprit. And yes. that, um, yeah, and it didn't turn out to be a ghost. Um, it turned out to be a mouse that ate soap. Damn mouse. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's, I'm, I'm sure, Keith, I'm sure that's how most cases are. Should have called an exterminator, not an exorcist. No, oh, yeah. but I mean, this is, this, is, this is the sort of case that, you know, or is real life. You know, I, I can't imagine Zach ever going head to head with a mouse. <laughs> no, the mouse would win. Uh, it's funny you mention that because uh, Clay, you know, who was, who was a member of my team for the longest years, moved to Mobile Alabama and his, his neighbor, as it turned out, was having problems in their house. And so he, he asked, uh, they asked him if they could help once he found out what to do. So he went and looked at it and he set up cameras and stuff and he set up a couple of game cameras in the acts because it was all kinds of noises coming from the attic, like stuff being dragged in the floor and there. Well, they, the cam cameras caught the villain. All right. It was these big ass rats that were up there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But so you actually worked on the original conjuring house. Uh, Keith? Yeah. Yes. Yes. We did. How did that, that come about? Cases in fact. And, um, that goes back to the early 70s, too. And Carl and I had been, uh, a little over a year, we'd been members of PIRO, Parapsychological Investigation and Research Organization, based at Rhode Island College. And there was no internet back then, of course, and there was really not much way of getting the word out unless you, you know, send your resume out to different colleges and things like that. But really no way of getting, uh, getting known and getting the word out of, about what you do. So I put a little ad, I designed a little ad and put it in a local paper that was kind of like a penny saver. I put in a local paper that where we are pyro, uh, we investigate unexplained phenomena free of charge. And I thought it'd just be laughed at. Um, <laughs> I, designed it. I, think, I thought it looked pretty cute. But um, three weeks later, three weeks later, after the ad appeared, we were contacted by a woman named Carolyn Perrin from Harrisville, Rhode Island, the borough section of Rhode Island. And she had moved into a house uh, about two and a half years before that was extremely haunted. It was uh, contained supposedly a lot of spirits. They had five young daughters. Her and her husband, Roger, had five young daughters. They were constantly seeing spirits all the time, you know, as, as 
young children do. And but it was turning sinister is actually, and I I mean that literally actually because things were going from left to right. But uh, uh, Mother Carolyn was actually being assaulted and she was being threatened uh, spiritually. She was fearing for her safety and the safety of her family. So she was at her wit's end. She went to the uh, local church and asked for, you know, can you please do something to help us? And well, what they said was, maybe you want to find another town to live in, another school to go to. Because oh, nice. <laughs> you live in a haunted house. And, and they were supposed to be the experts. So, yeah. so when uh, she saw when Carolyn saw her ad, that was like a godsend to her, somebody that may not laugh at me, may not ridicule me. So she contacted us. We met with her, and she told us her story of everything that was going on, anything from uh, she, she was she had just taken a bath and was drying off, and a coat hanger left left off from the rack and began whacking her on the head. She was not feeling comfortable in her own home. So, so we did come to her house. We agreed to come to her house, and uh, she was so relieved that somebody just you know believed her and didn't deride her. And, you know, even before we experienced anything, it just just that relief, knowing that somebody cared enough not to deride her. And we said we'd come out and investigate it. We did come out on an August evening, a very, very humid August evening. And they um, brought us to a, the children brought us to a cemetery that was uh, nearby down the street. It was the uh, Sherman plot. And there was this stone in there that had been broken in half, vandalized. Uh, it was. Uh, named Bathsheba Sherman on it, Bathsheba Thayer Sherman. And they said, uh, we believe that she was uh, a witch in life and that she may be the one that's haunting us, that's uh, giving uh, giving my mother all this these problems in our house. And there was a rumor that she had hanged herself in the barn out and back. And so we were looking for any information that we could find on this. It turned out later that uh, actually Bathsheba did get a bad rap. There's there's no historic information that she ever did these things. Was She was a local Baptist parishioner and a, and a farm woman. And that's, um, that's the extent of her fame in real life. But we investigated the house. It was a strange, strange feeling in there. It was like really, really something didn't want us there. It was electrified. Almost, almost tangible, electrified. My brother had gone upstairs to use the bathroom upstairs. A cloudy substance started floating down the hallway towards him and uh, then just dissipated before it touched him. Uh, he was wondering, there's not a fire here, is there? No, it was, it was some kind of manifestation. Uh, they heard heavy footsteps upstairs, even though the husband, Roger, had left to go on a business trip. There were heavy booted footsteps going on upstairs. Carolyn didn't think anything of that. We don't mind that. That, that happens all the time. But uh, I think it was because I was a long-haired hippie type at the time. I had very, very long hair, and I was very, very slim, you know, how things do change. But uh, mm-hmm. they, uh, the girls grabbed me by the wrist, and they gave me their personal tour of the whole house, the whole property and everything, and showed me where they went fishing and everything. And they, uh, they just wouldn't let go of me. But then we came upstairs, and they said that this is the room, one of the bedrooms that they were most frightened in. Now, there was a window that was partly open, and uh, Roger, the uh, husband, even tried taking a hammer to that. There was no way he could get it down because of the August humidity. It was just stuck open, wedged open. And we started uh, talking about what they'd been experiencing. They said they were very, very afraid, and, of course, the church had pretty much abandoned them at this point. 
But uh, mm-hmm. I said, well, do you have any religious beliefs? They said, oh, yes, yes, we are, we are Catholics. We're actually Catholics. So I, I just suggested, well, since you're fellow Christians, uh, why not try calling upon the name of Jesus? As soon as I said that, a pandemonium, pandemonium just let loose. That window came slamming down with such force it practically shook the room. Um, hmm. One of the girls was slapped on the left side of the head, practically knocking her off the bed. She's screaming, holding on onto her head. And uh, but the weirdest thing was the that feeling, the sensation in there, which I can describe, but it's, it's hard to duplicate something like that. It was like an electric impulse just suddenly came on. It was like. But it's being drained, and you can almost feel it like in waves coming out of you. It's draining your energy, and the girls are screaming. And I told them, "Don't be afraid. Just call upon the name of Jesus." And when I said that, suddenly it stopped. It seemed to go on longer than it did. It was actually only uh, several seconds, if even that. But but then it just stopped. It stopped more automatically, and you could feel this peace. It was like the atmosphere just totally changed in the room. Just a feeling of peace and. They said, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. It didn't leave the house, but it apparently did leave the room. So um, we came downstairs. They were pig-piling me, kissing me and everything. Oh, Keith, help us out. And uh, so <laughs> I would say that that was a good experience that night. And yep. But we did experience enough to say, yes, yes, this is the real deal. It is, uh, there is phenomena in there. And privately, we talked about maybe uh, we should, advise Ed and Lorraine about this and see what they would uh, advise us to do in this situation. Well, later that week, Carolyn had just woken up. Um, it was the wee hours of the morning, prep, prep stuff, 5.15 in the morning. Something was wrong in her room. And she looks over, there's uh, something fizzling on her dresser. Something, some, I don't know what it was, like a fuse or something. And a terrible stench of decay in her room. And all of a sudden she looks over and there's this phantasm of a woman just floating there, just floating towards her. Um, a woman that you couldn't really see her face, but what she could see looked like a very, very corpse-like. And the head was to one side as if the neck had been broken. The head was lolling onto the shoulder, just dangling there. And it began doing this terrible chant. Uh, I'll drive you mad with fiery brooms. I'll drive you mad with death and gloom. I'll drive ye out, but it will be too late. You'll be dead. And um, then it vanished. Meanwhile, Carolyn, poor Carolyn's punching her husband, uh, trying to wake Roger up. And he just he just would not wake up until it vanished. Then he automatically woke up. And he did have some gouges on his back. Otherwise, he was never harmed. Uh, the spirit was quite friendly to him. But he, uh, he did have some gouges on his back that night. So Carolyn called Donna the next, the next, you know, later that morning, and was just terribly frantic. Uh, you know, I don't know how I'm going to live with this. This is terrible. And so that's when we decided to, it is time we consult Ed and Brain Warren. And so Donna called the Warrens and uh, talked to them, explained what's happening. Later, my brother talked with them, and we explained the whole thing um, about how they believe it's a witch named Bathsheba that's been oppressing them, and these things. Carolyn can't take this anymore. She's just had a terrible, terrible visitation from some kind of horrific spirit that threatened her and her family. So so that's when we uh, we called, you know, after we called the Warrens, they said, well, we'll do more than advise you. We'll actually come down and uh, we'll we'll do the case with you. And, oh, wow, a mutual investigation with Ed and Lorraine. Well, we can deal with that. That, that yeah. sounded great. Yeah. So the Warrens did come down and they did investigate the house. And that's when Lorraine said, there is a malevolent presence in this house. And its name is Bathsheba. Now, it's 
you know, kind of a question of why she came up with that name Bathsheba. Um, Because we had uh, actually told her, Pyro had told her about Bathsheba. Don had mentioned Bathsheba, that they think it's a witch, and she's buried out in the cemetery there. Again, further research showed that there there was nothing nothing at all, um, you know, devilish about Bathsheba Sherman. She was the owned a uh, farm estate near the near she didn't live in that house but she owned a farm estate near the house and uh, huh. so actually uh later on the warrens they stopped the uh family stopped communicating with us after that for a while and we found out that ed and lorraine had advised them we have to do this ourselves we can't work with pyro or any other group you know, uh-huh. they, they, mean well. they mean well but uh, we have to take over and uh, so the parents being in that situation they had to agree to it, so that's uh, that's how the Ed Moraine became involved, anyway. Because you guys, that you, you guys <clears throat> shafted. When you were yeah, talking well, about um, the appearance yeah. of the apparition in the bedroom, and the the the, the chant or the rhyme, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it was that almost sounds like a witch's curse, and it takes me back to what you were saying earlier um, that are, are we dealing here with something that's mimicking? Our, our own desires. The children had created this story about Bathsheba, um, this innocent farm woman um, who who didn't live there, and she was, as you say, completely exonerated by the research. Um, but do you think that um, that became the basis for the haunting itself, that the, the imagination, the stories that the children were telling gained their own traction and their own reality? or became the basis for something to hijack the, the children's story? My personal take on that, my personal opinion was um, there was something there, some spirit presence. I, I personally think it was malevolent. I think it was there since the house was built in 1736 and uh, probably uh, long before that on the grounds. Um, remember, we, you know, the white man was not the only population that lived there. And the native population, the Nipmuc tribe, they had their their demonology too as well. But uh, I think that the spirit there was very wise, very crafty, and did did probably um, you know like play along with that. Mm-hmm. Probably did play along with that, and that's probably what happened. They the spirit uh, took it from from there and and made a big deal out of it, and that's how Bathsheba got blamed. Now, of course, mm-hmm. um, you know, I did, we don't believe it was Bathsheba. We no. believe that Bathsheba is resting in peace. She was given, a, when she passed away in, um, the 18, in 1885, May 1885, she was given a, a Christian funeral and a beautiful eulogy. So you just don't do no. that to a satanic witch. So. No, you don't. <laughs> I mean, right. it's something but, that we see, uh, this idea of... Um, the entity or the spirit hijacking um, the 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 stories. Yeah. Um, one of the things you, I mean, one of the things when we, whenever we deal with a suspected poltergeist case is that we we assiduously avoid talking about other cases in front of the family because um, there have been many examples where if the family start to worry about, well, could a poltergeist set fire to something, then fires start. Um, you know, if they worry about flooding, flooding happens. If they worry about um, appliances getting broken, that happens next. 
it's almost right. like you know they're, they're they're sending out what the the people that live there and the investigators are sometimes as well are sending out signals that 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 are being picked up on and then reflected back onto the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they were obsessing over a woman that mm-hmm. supposedly hanged herself in a barn, and a woman appears with her neck broken. So um, yeah, yeah. And the, know, and the, really, the, really the, the chant the sounds, you know, the the chant that the apparition um, starts saying is that does sort of sound, you know, reminiscent of a witch's curse. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it rhymed and everything. Certainly, certainly mm-hmm. it does. And so, what happened with them, Lorraine, is they uh, did come back in October of that year, and, of 1973, and they decided to hold a séance. Now, this is something they advise people never. Never play with uh, the spirit board. Never hold seances. Lo and behold, really, they did just like they had at the Amityville house when they investigated that. They uh, held a seance um, at the Harrisville farmhouse, and that was disastrous because Carolyn became the subject. She became the subject that was uh, going to channel the spirit against her will. She didn't really want to. She was very, very feeble at the time. She was getting more and more sick because of the situation she was living in. But she was put in a chair in the kit, middle of the kitchen. Sure enough, something take, when it channels, it takes over her, and she bows over into a contortion, begins mumbling and screeching in this unearthly voice. Nobody knows even what she was saying. Nobody could understand her. They had a priest there, a young priest, and at this point, the priest says, what do I do? What do I do? No, I've never been in a situation like this. What do oh I do? Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like... He was ready to run out the door. So, um, you know, and then Carolyn was thrown out of the chair. And uh, actually, uh, the uh, eldest daughter, Andrea, and one of her sisters, they were supposed to be in bed, but they did get up and were looking through the doorway at what was happening. And they thought their mother was dead. She just landed in a big you know, heap on the floor. Uh, Roger came over and tried to embrace her, and she started breathing again. And uh, he was not... Um, you know, uh, Roger was not too happy with uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren after that, and they were, uh, well, just put it politely, they were rejected. You know, I, I won't, I won't repeat what he said, but uh, they, <laughs> they were rejected. You know, and um, that. Uh, now, after that, after that, the uh, of course the phenomena did uh, keep up, but it was a lot less intense. There was not this more threatening aspect of it. Um, but Carolyn. Even though she was no longer getting threatened, uh, it had done a great deal of emotional and psychological damage to her and physical damage. She was losing weight. She was aging very, very rapidly. Uh, she was too much, much too caught up in the situation. She herself began dressing in um, 19th century clothing, um, holding, hosting tea parties for her neighbors, but really, really taking it to the point where she was talking in archaic language and... Uh, Finally, she said um, they'd been there 10 years. I know in the movie, The Conjuring, they were only there for a few months, but in uh, at the time of the movie, actually, they, they uh, Carolyn said, Roger, I love this house. I'd love to stay here, but if I spend another w- winter, I won't survive. So they wow. did eventually move out. Well, unfortunately, that is the bell, which means pizza from the dentist. You know, we've got to wrap up the show. That's a shame. We could have gone we- on for another two hours. We've been yeah. uh, speaking with Keith Johnson from Ghosts and Near. And Keith, how can people find out more information about you? Yeah, simply go to nearparanormal.com. Look us up on the internet, nearparanormal.com. 
and a quick search will show all our activities and what we're up to. And Ghost Are Near, of course, as you mentioned, our uh, TV show as well. Look that up on the Internet, and uh, you'll find us. We're out there. <laughs> there you go. Just like uh, UFOs, evidently not. But uh, yeah, They're making a big comeback at the moment, aren't they? Well, government released new stuff. Anyways, yeah. today's show is, uh, you've been listening to this. Ghost Chronicles International. Today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street, in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Gallant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts. And our very, very good friends on Patreon who help bring you this show with their support. And if you want to become a Patreon member, go to the Ghost Chronicles radio page and you can get exclusive content that you can only get being a Patreon member. And tickets and? for Spirit Quest are now on sale. And I've got uh, to add at this point that I'm not going, so it's safe to book. Yes. <laughs> Karen. Actually, we are about <laughs> halfway booked already. So, and I've only had it out for two days, so that's and you got five very good. Places, haven't you? So, Keith, we want to thank you so much for uh, joining us today, and uh, it was re really interesting uh, on, on so many aspects. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Very, very much. Great to talk to you, gentlemen, both of you. Yeah. Say hello to Sandra, and you have a, a good night, and stay safe. I will. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank Bye. you, Keith. Stay good safe. night, everyone. God bless. Good night. God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bumping in the night. Deliver us good lord. <laughs>